which Eliezer, Aaron's son, Joshua, the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of Israel uh, distributed an inheritance among them. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. For the nine tribes and the half-tribe, for Moses had given an inheritance to two tribes and the half-tribe on the other side of the Jordan. But the Levites, he had not given no inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. And they gave no part to the Levites in the land, except cities to dwell in with their common land, for their livestock and for their property, as the Lord commanded Moses. So the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. So they had an inheritance, and they had an inheritance, but it took over 40 years to receive this inheritance because they had a unbelief in the word of God. And the Christian life can be a life of battles. And we are promised an inheritance as Christians. And turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to see how we receive our inheritance. Uh, because God has promised the believer an inheritance. But it's, it's good to understand why we have an inheritance or how we have an inheritance and what it entails. Because a lot of times it, it, it's the idea of thinking I join a church or uh, I'm a good person. This enables me to gain an inheritance. Not so. Uh, so we see in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, in him, speaking of Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to his riches and grace. So we get our inheritance because of Jesus, because what of what Jesus has done. In verse 11, it says, in him, speaking of Jesus, we also obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to to the counsel of his will. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom you also, having believed, were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So he's telling us that we get an inheritance as Christians. How we first trusted in his word. We trust in Christ and what he did. And in verse 13, in him we also trusted when we heard the word and the gospel. And we believed and then God fills us with the Holy Spirit of promises are guaranteed of this inheritance until we get together with the Lord. Turn your page to chapter 2 of Ephesians. Because a lot of times we have this misconception that I'm a good person, or that person's a good person, they deserve heaven. Or, you know, we, we have this kind of idea that good people should go to heaven. But that's not the case. Jesus said there is no good people. If, they were good, if we were all good, God himself would not have to come live a perfect life, die in our place for our sins so that when we repent and we put our faith and trust in him, we receive his spirit, we become born again, and we get this sealing with the Holy Spirit. We become heirs and we go in because of what he did. That's the gospel. That's the message that we believe. And so we have this sometimes this misconception that good people go to heaven. No, those who repented of their sins and put their faith and trust in Jesus have the inheritance that God provides. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 10 says, 
And he, he made alive, and you, he made alive. Speaking of the church. And you, he made alive. Who were dead in sins and trespasses in sins. So, before Christ, we were dead in sins and trespasses. A lot of people, what does that mean? If you go back to Genesis chapter 2, when God created man in his image, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. We know from Genesis to Revelations that God's triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Man in his original state was created a lesser trinity, body, soul, and spirit. So, from Adam's sin, since Adam created and every one of us is his offspring, we're created and we're dead in sins and trespasses. We are born body and soul without the spirit. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 3, to go to heaven, I must be born again, speaking of the Holy Spirit. So when man sinned back at the garden, he died spiritually. And so Jesus said, you need to be born again, speaking of a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And here it says, speaking to the church, and you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked. And I like that. It's past tense. Once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom you also we also once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, just as the others. In other words, there's no difference between us in the those of the world. But he says, past tense, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, among whom you once conducted yourself. So, God saves us, but he doesn't, he expects us to live differently. And that through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Christian battle to get our inheritance, we, we battle against the lust of our flesh, the desires of fulfilling of our flesh and of our mind. But we were by nature, children of wrath, but we're born again now. But verse four says here, but God, I love that, but God, past tense, this is who we were, but we're saved. But God, who is rich in his mercy, because of his great love in which he loved us, even though we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. In them. So we have this inheritance, just like the children of Israel. They had an inheritance. You know, the, the leaders were to bring them to the place of an inheritance to receive all that God had for them. And number one, God has that same inheritance for us, but a greater inheritance than that which Joshua brought to the people. But here we see three things. Number one, just like the children of Israel, we have an inheritance. Number two, it talked about here in Joshua chapter uh, 14, verses three, that Moses had given two tribes and a half tribe of Manasseh uh, on the other side of the border. Now, this would be kind of like, okay, I, God is giving us an inheritance, but instead of going into the promised land where God wants you to be, you say, okay, God, um, I like all that, but I really want to be right here. Not receiving all that God had for them. 
You know, and I've been to Israel, and if you look over the Jordan from where they cross, it is barren. But when they saw that land, the Bible tells us when Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh looked over, they were content. They liked the land in which they were. And this life can be like that. We can love this land so much that we don't desire a better place to be where God wants us to be. And that's very dangerous. You know, if you, look, if you read the history through Gad and Manasseh and the half-tribe of uh, Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh and the half-tribe of, of, uh, of Manasseh, when they were in this area, man, through the history, they, they, they weren't where God wanted them to be. They, they were beat up. They were in enemy territory. And man, the land is not good. It's not good to be in a place where God doesn't want you to be because he has so much more for you. And I I really have to uh, grasp that. God has an inheritance for me, but do I want to settle for what God wants for me or what I want for myself? God always has something better for me. So I, I always want to say, God, put me in a place where I, you want me to be. Because it's the best place for me. And Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Miasa settled. And we could be like that as Christians. And we need to check our hearts. So Moses gave them the inheritance. And the two tribes and the half-tribe on the other side of the Jordan, they settled for second best. But the Levites here at the end of verse 3, it says, But to the Levites he had given them no inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were split in two, Manasseh and Ephraim, and he gave no part to the Levites in the land except cities to dwell in with their common lands for their livestock and their property. As the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Now, it kind of almost seems unfair that, you know, he would, God would give all these tribes land, but to the Levites, it says, he gave them no part. But it's good to have a good view of Scripture. In Joshua chapter 13, verse 33, it says, But to the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. And I love this. For the Lord God of Israel was their inheritance and the same thing with us god is our inheritance you know i i think you know, we hold on to to tangible things or things that we hold on to our property our stuff and our things and we value things and events more than we do the lord and the lord should be our inheritance that's what we value that's what we cling to but here as we read on, we see a certain good and awesome leader. And as we go into the promised land, as remember, it was a, it was a, when God used Moses to bring the children of Israel out by great signs and wonders and power. And, you know, the Red Sea, uh, you know, they went through the Red Sea and walked through it and they saw amazing things God did. And it was an 11-day journey, and they're going to the promised land. And as they go to the promised land, Moses sends out 12 spies to go and spy out the land. And they're, they're at the border right after they leave. And as they go in, something happens. And we can learn from what happened there, and it should apply to my life today. In verse 6 through 15, it says... Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jehunah, the the Kenziite, said to him, You know the, the, the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you, Joshua, and me at Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea, to spy out the land, and I brought, brought back word to him, speaking of Moses, as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart 
of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord. So the Lord swore on the day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children forever, because you wholly followed the Lord. So Joshua and Caleb were with these other spies, and they're at the promised land, 11 days journey, they're there, and they see the land. And Joshua and Caleb were the only two that came back and said, we could take the land. But here it says, in verse 8, Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord. I wholly followed the Lord. And it could be that we are in the verge of getting our inheritance. Hey, heaven is just that close. We're in the end times. It's so wicked, man. We are ripe for judgment. We're that close. But you know what? The enemy is fierce. He's, he's going to try to distract us, get us off course, to scare us, you know, cause us to doubt. And the worst place for us to be is not wholly following the Lord. Because when we don't wholly follow the Lord, we'll be just like these leaders here who doubt and miss out and discourage others along the way. I want to be that kind of Christian or you should be that kind of Christian who desires to go into the promised land, but takes as many with you. You want to take friends and family with you. Why? Because it's going to be hell. I don't want to be here after the rapture. Man, it's going to be horrible. You think things are bad now. It's going to be bad. So I want to be like this servant. And I love what he calls Moses. Moses, the servant of the Lord. And, And we are all called servants of the Lord. And we should all cause the people to go in. We should have a good report. We should follow the Lord wholeheartedly. But it said, nevertheless, the people who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. We should be encouraging people to go into the promised land. And a lot of times we don't as Christians. We give a bad report. They see our the way we live. Maybe we're discouraging people from coming by our witness. So it says in verse 9, So Moses swore on that day, here Caleb reminds Joshua that the Lord promised him when we went to Carbdespernia. We were 40 years old at that time. And here some time had passed. And because Caleb wholly followed the Lord and Joshua wholly followed the Lord, there are only two of the surviving people of 40 years, everyone else that went to war at that time of, who was of age died in the wilderness. They're the only two left. Why? Because they trusted God and they trusted his word. God said, I'm going to give you that land. Simple as that. And they needed to trust him. But what they saw discouraged them. But in verse 9, it says, because you wholly followed the Lord, you're going to receive this inheritance. Verse 10. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive As he said, these 45 years since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old, as yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war both for going in or going out and going in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain, Caleb says, which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the the Anakim were there and their cities and they were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. So look what he does he 
He focuses on what the Lord said. And that's very important to us as Christians. We need to focus on what the Lord said, not what we see. Because what we see tells us there's no hope. What we see tells us, man, things are bad. The economy's bad. War, rumors of war, you know, lawlessness. The elite getting away with crimes and doing whatever they want. You know, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. We see all this playing out in history. But I love what he he did, Caleb. He trusted God. He trusted God despite what was going on around him. He was 40 years old when he trusted God. And now he's saying, for 45 years, the Lord kept me alive. And I'm here. He's 85 years old. And he says, I'm as strong as on the day that Moses sent me. We need to pray for that kind of strength, that kind of courage, that kind of focus on God's word. He was true. He stayed true, believing in God's word for over 45 years. He trusted God. He wasn't lazy. And you know what? If you're older and you think, you know, God's done with you, he's not. Here's an 85-year-old man trusting God and God doing a great work in him. Why is God doing a great work in him? Because he trusts God. So you could be 45, you could be 5, like, uh, you know, young Samuel, that calling on your life. But the key is the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. He's 85 years old. So don't think that, that God can't use you at 85. I think of Abraham. Abraham was 75 years old when God called him. So, you know, a lot of times we look for the young people to do this or that. Hey, if you're available, God will use you. If you trust him, he will use you despite what you think of your age. So I got to trust the Lord. And he he claims here he trusts the Lord. And, And I thank God for God using men and giving themselves its availability i think of our own pastor pastor joe he's an amazing man you know to teach one study like after i touched i taught first service i was winded i was tired and you know i hear people i hear people complaining about serving in ministry and pastor joe he's over 74 years old. He teaches three studies on Sunday morning. He teaches Wednesday night. He he studies eight hours a day for you. I praise the Lord for that kind of strength. I pray that I have that kind of strength when I'm his age. Don't limit what God can do to you. Do in you. Trust God. Give yourself to him and he will bless you. You know, one of the neat things is you can never outgive God. You think, you know, man, I'm giving, I'm serving too much. You could never outgive God. You serve with all your heart, man, God will bless your heart. You give him your all, you can never outgive God. But I love what he says here. The Lord is with me and he's going to drive them out. In verse 13, it says, and Joshua blessed him and he gave him, gave Hebron to, to Caleb, the son of Jehunah, as an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jehunah, the Kenziite, to this day. And here's the key. God does a work in you because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. And that's key. I got to ask myself, am I half-heartedly giving myself to the Lord? Am I wholly following the Lord? Because I know I've been there. I've I slacked off. I've been there where I casually followed the Lord. You know, I, I remember when I was young, I, I, I had an experience with the Lord. I, I, I came to faith at 12 years old. I gave my life to the Lord. I was on fire seeking the Lord. But there came a time where I used to walk with my mom to church and we used to walk up the alley. I shared this story before. We, our church was uh, three blocks north of us. We should just go out our alley door, our backyard, walk up the alley, three blocks, and we're at our church. 
So I used to walk with my mom to church every Sunday morning. But after time, what happened is I would kind of casually walk a little slower. I'd pick up a stick. My mom would go ahead of me. And so the distance that I walked with my mom became greater. And so, you know, I would show up late. But then after a while, my, we would start walking. And as soon as my mom made that turn to go to the church, I would go the other way. And you know what? It happens to us spiritually. We do this as adults. We don't see it, but, you know, we're following the Lord. We're following the Lord. We're following the Lord. And something distracts us and we're off over here. Something's more important. I know. I've been there. I backslid for 14 years. I praise the Lord. God had mercy on me and I'm back. But we need to wholly follow the Lord. In verse 15, it says, And the name of uh, Hebron was formerly uh, Kerjoth Arba. Uh, Arba was the greatest man of, among the the Anakim, which were they were giants, and the and the I'm sorry. Then the land had rest from war. So Caleb and Joshua are great influences, and you know we need to aspire to be like them, be like these two men. Because we should be encouraging people to come to the Lord. We should bring in, we're at the verge of the promised land. And you know what? What we do and say will have effect on others. Because we saw here, the other leaders cause the people's heart to melt. Remember, they're at the promised land, 11 days journey. And the guy said, we can't go in. Listen to Numbers chapter 13, verses 30 through 33. This is Caleb, 40 years prior. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses, because they were stirring up the people, and said, let us go up at once and take possession, possession, for we are able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land to to whom we've gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw were, were men of great stature. And we saw giants, the descendants of Anak, came from, these people came from giants. And look at how the people saw themselves. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. So this really did a number on the people. Two million people were influenced by these 10 men. They caused the people not to inherit the promised land. They walked for 40 years in the desert and died in the desert, never really experiencing all that God had for them. Now, I want to be a leader like Caleb. I want to be a Christian like Caleb and Joshua. Why? Because they went into the land. They received all that God had given them and more than what they expected. Because they wholly followed the Lord. So I could be one who encourages, but we see here a negative influence on others around me. We could give a bad report by the way we live. We need to pray that we would forsake sin and wholly follow the Lord. Trust the Lord despite what's going on. Because what we see on the news and what we hear is very discouraging But we're right there to take the promised land. We're right there. You see, as leaders in the church, we have a responsibility to get you to the place. I have a responsibility to get you from here to heaven, to point you the way. And along the way, I want to encourage you to do so. But along the way, also some will discourage others not to go. And I pray that's not not you. 
Pray that we are encouraging people to go into the promised land, that our life reflects those who are saved, that our past life is a past tense, that we're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and the fullness and doing what God, trusting in what God has called us to do. God puts a high emphasis on leadership. It's important that we get you there. Luke chapter 12, verse 48 says, To much is given, much more is required. I have a responsibility as a pastor to lead you to the promised land. But you too, as Christians, have a responsibility to live and to share the gospel and to trust God and his word, to live according to it. James chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Let not any of you become teachers, knowing you will receive a stricter judgment. God's going to hold us accountable for what we teach, what, what we share. You know, we're called to be, as First Peter chapter 5, we're called to shepherd you. We're called to shepherd you to bring you to a place where you're going to receive the inheritance of God, that you're walking in the fullness. God says he will hold us accountable on the day of judgment. For your, we're accountable for your souls, the Bible says. And I don't take this lightly. You know, there's some uh, pastors and teachers and, uh, wh- who have left this. Who have left this. The Word of God. We, we can't afford as Christians to leave the Word of God. We need to be in it every day and every night. Why? Because we're in a battle. And this is the sword of the Spirit, Ephesians chapter 6 says. And I need to be in the Word. Why? Because God prescribed. I need to trust it. Why? Because we're, we're, we're right here. We're fighting the enemy, the flesh, the world, and, and, the, the Satan, and Satan. And he will use everything to get us off track, even so-called Christians. Even those in the church. We got to be careful of what is shared and who... Pastor Joe just doesn't let anyone in the pulpit. You know, there are songs that I've asked the worship teams not to sing because of their association with false teachers and false prophets. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, this is Peter's warning to the church. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, speaking to the church, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them and bringing on themselves swift destruction. There are many pastors and teachers and Christian songwriters that are leading the church astray. And And the church wants to be entertained. Don't be entertained by the goats, okay? You need to follow the shepherd. Most, most of Christian music has become entertainment. You know, some of the songs we sing are not theologically accurate. They have a bad description of God and they have bad theology. You know, I, I, I could name a few songs right now. But I listen to the words when even when songs that we sing here in church, when they say, God will not fail me yet. That's a false idea of God because God never fails. So I have a hard time singing that song because it's not theologically accurate. We have a responsibility to keep you safe. Because we see in the history of Israel that Rehoboam and Jeroboam, Rehoboam was a, was a king during Israel's time and he made... Israel sin. It says his name is Jeroboam, son of Nebat. And if you read and you type in his name and into any Bible program, it says who made Israel sin. How did he make Israel sin? He made Israel sin by compromise. Compromise. Not following the word of God. He made it comfortable for them. You want to worship? You don't have to go far. You know, just, just worship our songs. Just worship our way. Do things our way. We're not as restrictive. We don't, we could deviate from this. This is, it's, you guys are too rigid. And he said he caused Israel to sin. 
even his leadership. In 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 33, Jeroboam, whoever wanted to be a, pastor, a priest at that time, it didn't matter who wanted to be. They could pay, pay for it and become a priest. You know, we have a standard of ministry. The qualifications of ministry, we see them in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Go ahead and read those. Those are the qualifications for ministry and the standard in which we should uphold. Why? Because that's what God says. And to deviate will cause a lot of trouble. You see, Jeroboam made things easy for the people. He made every class of people to be a priest. You know, he, he told them, you know what, instead of going to Jerusalem, you could worship over here. Do, do it this way. Make it be, because serving God is demanding. Serving God isn't easy. It's a sacrifice. But David said, I don't give God that which doesn't cost me. If your service to God doesn't cost you, then it isn't a sacrifice worthy of the Lord's acceptance. And so Jeroboam set up Bethel and Dan, temples there, shrines of worship that were different, and he caused the people to sin. And we're responsible for the ecosystem of the church. And I go fishing with Mike. Mike Mike takes me fishing on his boat. And we go out and before we put the boat in the water, uh, Mike drives up to the little shack. A guard comes out. He gets in the boat with a little flashlight. He looks all over. He turns over uh, cushions and he looks in the bow. He looks in the engine. He walks around it. And he's making sure that there's no muscles in there. No muscles that are, they stick when you go to certain places. And these muscles will stick on these, these little tiny things. They'll stick on there. And what happens is if, if his job is not to let the muscles go into that lake. Because the muscles going to that lake will affect the ecosystem of that lake. And cause the fish to die and all the plant life. And it's bad. And two, Christian, so-called Christian pastors and teachers and songwriters are affecting the ecosystem of the church by bringing in false doctrine. Why? What's the biggest problem? We got to be in the word. It's important to trust God's word rather than our feelings. You know, it's almost like going back to, I want to worship this way, like Gad and and Reuben and the half tribe of man. I want to be on that side because I'm so involved in how good it sounds or how good it feels. I want that, that teacher who makes me feel good. No, I want the word of God that cuts to my heart, that transforms my heart. So your pastors and teachers and leaders are responsible for the ecosystem of the church to, to preserve the environment. And your heart is very important. Your heart is very important. So we're on the verge of going into the promised land, heaven. It, it's like that. We could be raptured out of here, but I want to be right. I don't want to go to the left or right. I don't want anything to distract me. I want to be fully following the Lord. Don't want to let anything affect the ecosystem of my heart to take me away from what God has given to me as an inheritance. I want to stay in his word. James chapter one, uh, three and verse one, God instructs the teachers, not let not everyone become a teacher. Knowing you will receive a stricter judgment, God will hold me accountable for what I teach and what we teach. But also God will hold you accountable for your life. So therefore, you want to trust God. You want to do what God has called you to do. You want to walk in his ways wholeheartedly. Don't compromise. Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 23 says, But this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, the Lord said. Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk in my ways. That I commanded you. That it may be well with you. That's what, where we, we need to be. 
as Christians, I need to obey the word of God. But if I'm not in the word of God, it's like there's nothing to obey. I need to be in the word of God and I need to obey it because God will speak to you personally. We take you through, we've taken this church from Genesis to Revelation twice. Pastor Joe could stay on that stand on that day of judgment and he's he could confidently say, I've taken the church through the full counsel of God. He's blameless in that case. He's concerned with the ecosystem of the church. He wants you to be thriving as believers. But here, what does God tell Israel? Obey my voice. Obey my voice. So I have to be in his word to obey his voice. Faith comes by hearing and that by the word of God. So I have to read the word of God. There should be some kind of reverence within me. You know, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 30, it says, you shall keep my Sabbath and reverence my sanctuary. Now, we don't follow the Levitical law in the ceremonial laws, but the principle still applies. We should spend time with the Lord in corporate fellowship. God will hold us accountable like he did the the leaders at Kardesh Barnea for what kind of leadership We have Numbers chapter 27, verse 14. For in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command and hollowed me and hollowed me at the waters before their eyes. In other words, God held Moses accountable for when he misrepresented him. God will hold us accountable, too. You know, and a lot of times we think it's, it's not a big deal that I'm not in the Word of God. It's a big deal. Prayer, being in the Word of God, prayer, fellowship are big deals. Avoiding temptation and not walking in the flesh and in the ways of the world, it's a big deal. Why? Because it could keep you from entering in the promised land. And also, by your lifestyle, what you say and what you do, could cause the others to stumble. J.C. Ryle says, let us beware of making light of, of light of temptations because they may seem little and insignificant. There is nothing little that concerns our souls. A little leaven leavens a whole lump. A little spark may kindle a great fire. A little leak may sink a great ship and a little provocation or pride may bring out of our hearts great corruption and end bringing up, bringing our souls into great trouble. We need to be careful, believer. We're, we're in a war. We're in a spiritual war. Man, look what they, they're doing to the kids and what they're teaching the kids. The moral climate, man, you know what? We haven't seen nothing yet. You know, I I just look at our lives here, you know, being 23 years here in the church, serving with Pastor Joe, from where we were at the theater to where we're at now, man, this place is wicked. And you know what? I can't imagine another five years how much more wicked this place is going to be. We're going to face giants. We're going to face obstacles as Christians. We're going to, you know, the enemy is, is... you know, I think this year alone, I, I've been, I haven't experienced spiritual attacks like this or temptations like this in all my years walking as a Christian. Why? Because he knows his time is short. It's, it's full on war. We need to be careful. You know, Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 19, it says, take, be careful. You know, even things that Uh, seem good might take me away from God and God warns us to wholly follow him. Be careful that you might be feel driven to worship your way. But I want to follow God's way. I'm going to give you the key to everlasting life. I'm going to give you the roadmap to where, here's where you're at. We're at Kardash Bernia. We're here 
in the verge of the promised land, here's what you need to do as a Christian. Number one, you need to trust God's word. You need to trust God's word. Turn with me to Joshua chapter one. This is how important God's word is to uh, Joshua. Again, remember Moses took, Moses just died. Two million Jews coming out of Egypt. Walking 40 years in the desert. uh, Joshua was a great assistant to Moses. But he still feels inadequate. He still feels inadequate. And sometimes too, I honestly, I feel inadequate. I am inadequate. I trust, I have to trust on the spirit of God and trust in his word. And God knew Joshua, Joshua felt inadequate. But look at what God does to Joshua in his word. Verse 6, Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. So he's encouraging Joshua. Joshua, we're going to go into the promised land. Be strong. Be courageous. Church, we're going into the promised land. We're going to have to face those giants. It's going to get difficult in these last days. Be strong and be courageous. And he said, for to this people... You will divide the inheritance of the land, which I swore to your fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do all the law, which Moses, my servant, had commanded you. He's speaking of the word. Do not turn from it. So be in the word. Don't turn from it from the left hand to the right, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. That's where you need to be, Chris. You need to trust God. This is what God says. I need to trust it. We're here at the, we're going to face battles. I need to be in the word of God day and night. I need to trust God. Why? I can't trust in my flesh. If I look at myself, I'm going to be like them. I'm going to look like a grasshopper. I'm a little puny little thing. I'm nothing. But with God, we can do all things. Be in the word. Turn with me to Psalms chapter 1. Psalms chapter 1 says the same thing. How important the word of God is to us as believers. Very important. Psalms chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Man, that's where I want to be. But how do I be like that as a Christian? Strong and courageous and and stable and victorious. I got to be in the word. I got to be in the word. I got to trust God's word. I got to wholly follow the Lord. But it says here in verse four, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the day of judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. How important it is for us as Christians to be in the word day and night. I want to encourage you to do so. Me and Pastor Joe, we systematically go through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation at your own pace. Let God speak to you and he will. So number one key is be in the word. Number two, pray. We need to pray. We need to pray like we never prayed before. Why? Because the days are evil. Anxiety and everything is, is, is bad. But in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 9, speaking to the Christian, the church, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. I need to pray. I, I can't be anxious. And you know what? I get anxious. But I got to give it to the Lord. Lord, help me. You know, do that work. I'm going to bring it to you. He says, but in everything, prayer. And supplication, praying for other people. 
with thanksgiving. It says, let your requests be made known to God. So I'm doing this. I'm not anxious. I'm giving the Lord myself in prayer to the Lord and supplication. I'm praying for others. I'm thanking the Lord. I'm making my requests known to God. And it says here in verse 7 of Philippians chapter 4, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Man, I could have confidence, not in myself. I could have confidence in the Lord. That's why I pray. I trust God's word, but I pray. And he gives me the peace that surpasses understanding that will guard my heart and my mind. Why? Because my heart is prone to wander. My mind tells me, man, this, man there's no hope. Just like the guys at Kardesh Barnea. I want to be like Joshua and Caleb. I want to wholly follow the Lord. They trusted God's word. Prayer. It says, finally, brethren, whatever things that are true, because we live in a, tr- in, a, in a world where truth is subjective. My truth is not your truth. Your truth is not your truth. That is baloney. There's only one truth. There is one truth. We live in a world where where I could say this shirt is white and somebody could say, no, that shirt's not white. That's your interpretation. It's pink. (laughs) This is the world we live in. Nothing is changed. The book of Judges, it says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that's where we're we're at. So I got to pray and focus on whatever. He says, finally, brethren, whatever things that are true, Whatever things that are noble, whatever things that are just, whatever things that are pure, the word of God is pure. It's true. It's just. It gives us right way of living. Whatever things that are lovely, whatever things are good report, if there's any virtue or anything is praiseworthy, meditate on these things, which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me. These do, and the peace of God will be with you. Prayer, be in the word, prayer, fellowship. We need fellowship. It's like a three-legged stool. I need be in the word. I need prayer. I need fellowship. You have a three-legged stool. You take one of those, you're bound to fall. Christian, you're bound to fall. How do I know? I fell for 14 years. Fellowship, your fellowship is very important. You being here is very important for you and for those around you, you know, It's not a casual thing. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. I'm almost done. In closing, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22 through 25. The writer of Hebrews says, Let us draw near with a true heart of assurance of faith. What gives us a true heart of assurance of faith? Trusting in God's word gives me a true heart. Assurance of faith that God is able to do what he's promised. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water. The Bible is likened into water that cleanses me. That washes us. I need to be in the word. Why? Because you're going to get washed. Verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 10 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Again, we, we're at Kardesh Bernia. These 10 guys wavered and they missed out. For he who promised is faithful. That's where my confidence is. My confidence is in God. He who promised is faithful. So he wants me to fellowship. Verse 24, and it says, let us consider one another. In other words, you're not here just for you. You're here for those around you. You're important to those around you. Those 10 guys were important to those 2 million people. And 2 million people didn't go in because of the influence of the 10. You influence those people around you. Your fellowship is important. Verse 24 says, let us consider one another. To stir up love and good works. So you're here to stir each other up in love and good works. Verse 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some. 
casual, casual churchgoers, casual followers of Christ. We see those who wholly follow going in. If you have a casual relationship with God, do you really have a relationship with God? He says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves is a manner of some, but exhorting one another. You guys are called to encourage one another, exhort one another, and much more as you see the day approaching. The day of judgment is coming, and you are important to those around you. You've got to know Jesus. You, don't, you can't have a casual walk. Is your walk like... Those who are wandering 40 years in the desert, you could be walking in circles. Or are you on the verge of receiving the inheritance of all that God wants for you? You could be tempted to stay on that side of the Jordan. I I think that's good for me, God. This is what I want. But we should want what God wants for us. I need to be in the Word. I need to be in prayer. I need to be in fellowship. These things are difficult things. But we're not separate and alone. We are attached to each other. We influence each other. And these things are difficult. But I like what God commands, He also enables. See, we're called to walk in a certain way, but God wants us to walk in the power which He provides. Last verse. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Man, see, God commands you. He encourages you. Be in the word, be in prayer, be in fellowship. Trust me and I'll empower you to do it. You just got to be willing. You just got to say, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. If, you, if you're not walking with God, if you don't have a relationship with God, right where you're at. Because in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus said in that day, many will come saying, Lord, didn't I do this? And didn't I do that in your name? And Jesus said, he will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Two things in that verse that Jesus says. I never knew you in terms of a personal relationship with me. You're not really following me. You're just going through the motions. You're wandering in the desert. You need to say, God, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me. Come into my heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I would walk in the power that you've provided. Secondly, he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In other words, you're stepping over the line. You know things where you should be walking and you keep stepping over the line. We need to say, Lord, that's the line. Lord, I'm struggling with that line. Forgive me. Help me not to cross that line. Change my heart. And you know what? God will change your heart. I just simply got to be willing. So, I want to encourage you. Be in the word. Holy, follow the Lord. He's got so much for you. He wants to bless you. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. And let God have his way. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Father, I thank you for this church, Lord. I thank you for your people. Father, those at home also, Lord. We pray, Lord, for a supernatural work of your spirit. Father, that you administer to our hearts, Lord. Father, that we would not compromise living on that side of the Jordan or where you don't want us to be, but we would be walking where you want us. That you would give us the strength, Lord, the courage, the, the, the power to walk and to receive all that you have for us, whether we're young or old, Lord. Father, may we say, yes, Lord, here I am. Use me. Father, may we cause the people to inherit the promised land. That which you promise, eternity. Father, help us in our witnesses, Lord, to be good stewards. Help us to forsake sin and walk in the power of your spirit. 
Father, help us to be a people who read your word, pray, fellowship. And Father, that we are walking in the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. So bless your people. May your name be upon them, Lord. Help us, Lord, as we uh, see the days approaching, Lord. Father, as these days are wicked, Lord, Father, empower us to live in such a way, Lord, that we don't look at ourselves, Lord, but we look to you and what you said. So, Father, we thank you, Father, for the study. We ask that you minister to our hearts. And, Father, we thank you this morning also for the, the tithes and offerings, Lord. Help us to use them for, for good, Lord, for your glory. Help us to be good stewards, Lord. Father, help us to be good stewards of our time with you as well. We love you, Father. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys.